0: We were, we've been going over the, uh, the genealogies and, uh, because what I want to do is I want to cause you to have a love for the Word of God. Every word in the Bible is true. Every word. So when people say that they, they, they don't like the genealogies, remember it's because our taste is corrupt and we have to learn to love every word. Without the genealogies, we lose so much of the underpinning. And so what we've done is we've come across this genealogy in the scriptures in, in Genesis chapter 36, and it's in a sense an obscure genealogy because it's, it's a terminal genealogy. It's the genealogy of Esau. It's not even one that's going to relate down to the coming of the Messiah. But what's good about this is that we see how much we can get out of even something like this that's a terminal genealogy, which is the, the genealogy of the generations of Esau, because God wants us to understand it. Sometimes we wish that, oh, there were more in the Word of God, that, that we, we saw more what really was going on behind the scenes. Just remember, everything that God wanted us to see, we are seeing. Everything that he feels is necessary for us, he has given to us in the scriptures because this is a divine work. It's as if he wrote this with his own hand. Now, he wrote this through through human beings, but it's as if he wrote it with his own hand. This is a divine word, and this is why it's been retained. And it can't be altered. It can't be changed because if you try, you just die. The scriptures even tell you. You just can't alter this. You just can't change it. It is too good. It is just amazing. So, here is... Uh, Here's what we've been going over. Um, just let me turn on the laser pointer here. Okay, so remember is that is that in Hebron, just outside Hebron by these Oaks of Mamre is where, where Isaac was living and Jacob has come to live with him. And Esau had moved down to this lower region. This is the Dead Sea, just this lower region which is, was called Edom. So you can see it on this map here. It's called Edom. And uh, uh, and this is the region that Esau moved into. It was prophesied that through his father that he would live in a barren area. And it is barren there because this is after the destroying of Sodom and Gomorrah. Before the destroying of Sodom and Gomorrah, it said it was like plush, like Zoar, like, like in, in Egypt. But then it became really barren and it's barren to this day. And this is where he lived. So... Um, and so you can see again on this expanded map this is the region of Edom this is the Dead Sea or sometimes called the the Salt Sea uh today it's called the Dead Sea uh sometimes the Sea of Araba but uh the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea in the scriptures you you often see it the Salt Sea and so this is the region that we're talking about here is the Negev this is where the Amorites moved into the Negev area uh uh you you can see different towns here that that uh um, Different things that that uh, uh, we would be referring to, and uh, this is the region. And so, what we had covered last time is Genesis chapter thirty-six, verses one through five, discussed Esau's wives and sons that were born to him in the land of Canaan. In seven and eight, his move from Canaan to Mount Seir or Edom, or Esau. That region, Edom equals Esau. Edom is red. Esau is that name, uh, and it was as prophesied in twenty-seven, thirty-nine. And then we talked about nine through fourteen. Esau's sons came in, and then uh, fifteen through nineteen was the chief of the sons or the grand, and and grandsons of Esau. And then verse twenty through thirty were the descendants of Seir, the Horite. That was the person who lived in this area prior to. Esau coming in and taking over. He killed off many of them. He subjugated the others. And they intermarried in the Nuzi tablets, which is from the second millennium B.C. we It talks about the Hurrians. Those are the Horites, called the Horites in the Bible, Hurrians in the Nuzi tablets. So there is always extra biblical documents that substantiate that which is written in the Bible. Um, and then there was the, the kings of Edom. Uh, this is what we're going to study today in verse 31 through 39 is the kings of Edom. These are the descendants of Esau and Seir. Seir, remember, is being the Horite where they intermarried. And then you're going to see the chiefs of Edom at the end, not by their names because that was discussed here in 15 through 19. What it's going to talk about is their family, territories, not a specific person. That's in the last three verses. So again, what this is to do is give us a love Four genealogies, and we would start pulling these pieces together. Um, so we had covered this last time. This is where you had Esau, you had his three wives, Adha, Basemath, and Aholibama, uh, and then it traces it traced the sons that came from each of those wives. Remember, it was Eliphaz. This is Eliphaz, the Temanite, Who's referenced in the book of Job, verses two, verse chapter two, verse eleven? That is the friend of Job, uh, one of the three friends that came to share with him. That was Eliphaz the Temanite. Teman was his son. The land was called after him. He was given the chieftain name, not Eliphaz. It was an honor, and and uh, uh, and it was extended to Teman. He lived in this area. He was called Eliphaz the Temanite. This is this this area of Job is is from this land of Edom. Uh, his concubine, remember, was Timnah. Her brother was was uh, a son of Seir, the the, the Horhite, as we saw El- Eliphaz's concubine, and it was through them that Amalek, this uh, enemy of the of the Israelites, came in, and he migrated to the Negev, so he migrated west into the Sinai Peninsula. And there is a and, and these are the other sons that came from Basemath, the grandsons. These are the grandsons that came from Adha the wife, and these are the these are the uh, uh sons that, that came from from Aholibama. Uh there's a parallel list in 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 35 through 54, and we talked about that. This is God's way of preserving data uh because you have parallel lists. So uh we we talked about the story of Job and Edom and the land of Uz. Uz is the name of one of the descendants of, of Seir, uh the Amalekites, they came in and we talked about how God promised he would destroy the Amalekites, and they were finally destroyed by Simeon in the days of Hezekiah. Uh, and Then we talked about Seir, and, and the things of Seir, and, and all the sons of Seir, the, the resident of that area when Esau had moved in. He k- killed off many of them, subjugated the others, but here's the two lines in which there was intermarrying. Lotan's sister, it says, is Timnah, so in verse 20 and verse 22 of that chapter, and that was Eliphaz's Concubine in verse 12, and through that line of Timnah came the Amalekites. And then also uh, there is a holy Bama, that's Esau's wife. So you can see Esau got a wife. He married her in Canaan, but here she, she is from Seir. Okay, so that we covered last time. Now, here's where we stopped last time, and here's where we're going to pick up. In most cases, kingship was based upon a dynasty of a father to a son or a daughter in the case of a queen. Relationship, so father son relationship. It was not like that in the land of Edom. In Edom, kingship was not dynastic, but it was an elected chief. So the capital of Edom, you'll see, will keep changing based upon the hometown of the newly elected king. So you had all these different towns that are named after each one of these sons and grandsons that we saw. And when a king would die, the different chiefs would get together and elect a new king. And that's why you'll see in this portion as we as as you read in uh in 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 chapter chapter 36 as we're going to read in chapter 36 you'll never see a descendancy it's not father son relationship it is just a new chief comes up and this is further I uh, suggested in Isaiah 34 verse 12 but let's look in Genesis now chapter 36 we're going to start reading from verse 31 chapter Genesis 36 verse 31 now, these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the sons of Israel. Bilah, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom, and the name of his city was uh, Dinhabah. Then Bilah died, and Jobab, the son of Zerah of Basra, became king in his place. Then Joba, Jobab died, and Husham, the, la- of the land of the Temanites, became king in his place. Then Husham died, and Hadad, the son of Bedad, who defeated Midian in the field of Moab, became king in his place, and the name of the city was Avith. Then Hadad died, and Samla of the Masrek became king in his place. Then Samlah died, and Shoal of Rehoboth on the Euphrates River became king in his place. Then Shual died, and Balhanan, the son of Akbor, became king in his place. Then Balhanan, the son of Akbor, died, and Hadar became king in his place. And the name of the city was Pau, and his wife's name was Mehetabal, and the daughter, the daughter of Matred, the daughter of Mezbah, Mezhab. Okay, so this is the story of the kings. You see, it's never a king passing on to his son. It is always, always a new king in a different city popping up. So this is the, how it was done in the land of Edom. Now, you'll see that, that uh, uh, when Moses exited Egypt, when they exited Egypt, uh, they sang a song after they, 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 they uh, uh, passed through the sea and all the Egyptians were destroyed. And this is referenced in Exodus chapter 15. And in Exodus chapter 15, <clears throat> there's the song of Moses. Moses has institutes a song and it says in chapter 15 of Exodus verse 1, then the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and the rider, he's hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. So we have a song today based on that. That is where, where God delivered them, where they passed through the sea. The entire Egyptian army was was destroyed. But in Exodus chapter 15 verse 15, as you get further down in that song, they sing then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab, trembling, grips them. And the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. So when they crossed through the Red Sea and they came through that, it was such an amazing event. People all around them heard of it. So so they're coming through the Red Sea. That's all the way by Egypt. And as they come through the Red Sea, let me kind of take you there and show you on this map. So So here they are. So they're in Egypt, so that Egypt's way over here on this side. And if we zoom in on this, so here's the Dead Sea. We're gonna zoom in on this. There's the Dead Sea right there. There's the Dead Sea. And so this is Egypt over here. This is the Nile. And so this is where they were. This is where they, this is the land of Goshen. That's where Joseph has, had settled them when they were, when they were, when they were in Egypt. This is the Nile Delta. So when it talks about the River of Egypt, it does not mean the Nile. It means this this uh, uh, easternmost river of the Nile Delta. You know, I, it's interesting. I saw I saw it recently. This this ads for, uh, for 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 my pillow and this Christian guy. He says he started getting these Giza sheets. He's talking about from this very plush area getting getting cotton. This is extremely plush because it's got all of these rivers. Now the Nile runs from south to north. So the Nile is running this way and it dumps into the, in, into the Mediterranean here. And so all these are rivers. This is all fresh water dumping in very, very fertile even to this day. And that's where Joseph had settled his family in this most fertile area. He's very smart to do that. But you see that this is where, where, where Moses is going to bring the children of Israel through this wilderness. And this is where they're coming in. And when they get, when they cross the Red Sea here, when they go across this Red Sea, they're singing this song and they're saying, hey, these kings all the way in Moab, up here, the kings in Canaan, way up in here, in this land of Canaan, and the kings of Edom, all in this region below the Dead Sea, they're all afraid. That's what he's talking about here. That's what he's talking about. So, so, uh, um, in, in Exodus chapter fifteen, it says, "Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed; the leaders of Moab trembling, uh, trembling grips them. The inhabitants of Canaan have melted away." This is what he's talking about, and so you see this boom right in the in the in in the uh, genealogies. It is here. If you skip the genealogies, you miss this, and it references this these kings of Edom, and but the kings were not yet instituted because Moses says when he's coming out. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. So it wasn't the kings of Edom, but the chiefs of Edom. So when Moses came out of the land, at that time, the kings had not yet been instituted. They were still running on chiefs. Kings came in later. But by the time that Moses, 40 years later, is going into the land now with the children of Israel, that's then in Numbers chapter 20. This is 40 years later from when he came out. Then it says from Kadesh Moses then sent messengers to the king of Edom, so by the time Moses came out, the chiefs, the chiefs of the land had had, had been done away with, in in the sense that they weren't ruling the land. It was under a king. They they had let, elected kings, and in fact, the one that he ends up writing to, in cha, it, it, it is is going to be this last one that's noted in verse thirty nine. So of all the different. Kings that we talked about in Edom, they had fairly short terms because all of them served within a 40-year period. And so this last one that he mentions in verse 39 of Genesis chapter 36, it says, Then Belhanan, the son of Akbor, died, and Hadar became king in his place. And the name of the city was Pau. So the one that he's writing to now is Hadar. This is the last king. So from Kadesh, Moses sent messengers to the king of Edom. So you see that... From this you can deduce that it was within this forty year period that the, the, the chiefs ended and the kingships came in. So the, the it was the chiefs who were dismayed when they came out, it was the kings that he's writing to to cross the land. We'll talk more about that. But then in, in, in chapter thirty in, in verse in, in chapter thirty six verse thirty one, chapter thirty six verse thirty one of Genesis it says Now, these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the sons of Israel. All right, so these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the sons of Israel. So when he's coming out, he starts writing about the kings. He's saying no king has yet reigned over the land of Israel. Israel hasn't even been established as a nation, really. They they haven't even come in the land. But he is writing again what we talked about last time. He's writing proleptically, proleptically, meaning that he's writing, that he's going to write, he knows exactly what's going to happen. It's the same guy, Moses, who writes this in Genesis, is writing uh, Deuteronomy. And he's going to write in Deuteronomy, and he already knows that there's God's instruction for the kings of Israel. So the future kings of Israel are going to get some instruction. Moses is going to make note of that in Deuteronomy 17. So he's writing proleptically. Proleptically is to say American Indians populated New York City. Well, when the American Indians were there, New York City wasn't there. But you're writing in the future. You write of land in the future. Or proleptically, you could say he was a dead man when he entered the room. Huh? How did the dead man No, you're writing proleptically that As he was entering, he was going to quickly die. That's writing proleptically. Moses is writing proleptically. He is saying, now these are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the sons of Israel. So this is saying that that this is happening before they've gotten into the land, before the land is established. Well, how does Moses know that there's going to be kings in Israel? Because Moses dies just before they ever get into the land. Because Moses is the guy who writes in Deuteronomy 17 instruction for the kings of Israel. So he knows it's going to happen because Moses believes the word of God. The word of God said, here's the instruction for the kings. So Moses knows there's going to be kings in Israel. When we read the word of God, we can absolutely bank on it. If the prophecy has not yet been fulfilled, it will be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled. And that's why Jesus says in John chapter 5, if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me because Moses wrote of me. That's what Jesus said. If you believed the writings of Moses, you would have believed me because he wrote of me. Jesus substantiated that Moses wrote these things, that Moses was the ones who wrote the, the the uh uh the Pentateuch, the five books, Jesus is the one that authenticated this. So when you go through school and they talk about higher criticism and they say Moses didn't write these books, then you've got to call Jesus a liar. You've got to call the gospels all wrong too, because Jesus underscored in multiple gospels that Moses wrote these things. Remember the the instruction, he says, Moses gave you this commandment on divorce for because of the hardness on your heart. Well, where's the commandments on divorce? The commandments on the on divorce are in, in, in Exodus and in, in Leviticus. There's these instructions that are there. So there's these instructions that Moses writes about. He references Moses. Jesus knew that Moses wrote it. He wouldn't have said it. It wasn't like, oh, well, Jesus got it wrong. He didn't get it wrong. Jesus got it right. Your higher criticism in your schools get it wrong. And they will catch up. They will correct themselves because history will correct that. And it it always does. We can absolutely bank on this. All right. If you look in in, in chapter 36, verse 32, it says, verse 32 of of Genesis, chapter 36, it says, Bela, Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom. This Bela, the son of Beor, was the first king of Edom. The rabbis, rabbis say that this is actually Balaam, the son of Beor. The time period was correct. And so was the region because in Numbers 22, verse four and five, it says, and Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab at that time was the king of Moab of that time. So he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor. So he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor. So remember the Israelites are coming through. They're going to be coming into the land of Moab and attacking that land. And the King Balak gets really worried. So he hires a prophet and this prophet happens to be Balaam. It sends messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor. This is, remember, Balaam's donkey, Balaam's ass, was, was, uh, was uh, the one who, who, who actually started talking. And so the, the uh, uh, rabbis suggest that this Balaam, the son of Beor, is actually Bela, the son of Beor, that's referenced here in verse 32. Now, it's not known for sure, but this is this is actually in the rabbinic writings, very old rabbinic writings, which are based on very old traditions that that predate those. This is not a recent thing. Okay, so then we go on in verse 33. It says it says uh, it says uh, Bela died, and Jobab, the son of Zerah of Basra, became king in his place. So Basra is mentioned all over the Bible, but this is the land that they're talking about. Basra is mentioned in Isaiah 34:6. In, and also in sixty three verse one jeremiah forty eight twenty four forty nine thirteen forty nine twenty two in forty nine twenty two of jeremiah it says, behold, he will mount up and swoop like an eagle and spread out his wings against Basra, and the hearts of the mighty men of Edom in that day will be like the heart of a woman in labor god there 's this prophecy hundreds and hundreds of years later in Jeremiah where he says that he's going to talk about the destruction of Basra. This is the city that is mentioned right there, where Zerah was king in Edom all those hundreds of years earlier. And it's mentioned. I just happened to be reading in Amos because I was preparing for another study. And I was reading in Amos, and I came across in Amos chapter 1, verse 12. So I will send fire upon Teman, and it will consume the citadels of Basra. This is the same thing. Remember, we read about Teman last time. That, that land that where Teman was a chief, that was the, the uh, grandson of Esau, uh, the land of the Temanites, where, where Eliphaz was from. And, and that's in Edom, the very region we're talking about, and Amos is prophesying of the destructions of them. You will lose this. You will not see this if you don't read the, the, the genealogies. If we just forget about the genealogies, all, it, it's just like a, a haze, a blue haze going by. You You have no idea what's coming at you in the scriptures because you've, you've forgotten all of this stuff. You haven't read all this stuff because you said, oh, well, I don't like the genealogies. Study every word of the word of God. I hope this gives you a love for the genealogies. If you look in 36 verse 35 of that same chapter, chapter, <clears throat> chapter 36 of Genesis verse 35, Hadad hey becomes famous for defeating the Midianites in Moab that's lots territory just north of Edom so remember just uh, northeast of Edom was Moab and and Hadad defeated the Midianites in Moab in that region in verse 36 verse in chapter 36 verse 39 it says Hadar is the last king that Moses mentions in the text and the one to whom Moses writes requesting transit permission in no- numbers chapter 20 verse 14 through 21 which we'll see in just a minute and so Moses is going to make request of Hadar uh, uh, as he's coming through. But let me just mention one other thing. And then in cha- in, in verse thirty in in verse thirty six through forty three of Genesis chapter thirty six, uh, there you, you find the chiefs the the, the uh, um, verse thirty six no that that should be verse uh, verse um, forty. So this is verse 40. So this should be verse 40. This is a mistake. I should have written verse 40. Yeah, this is, this is all me pulling this together. So last night. So this, this should be verse 40 through verse 43 are the chiefs of Edom territories. So this is not naming the names of the chiefs anymore. That was named formerly. That was named above. <clears throat> this is their families. And so their families, uh, so if you look in, it says in verse 40, it's a, it, it mentions families. In verse 40, it mentions localities. In verse 43, it says this is their habitations and land. This is not the personal names. The personal names of the chief were mentioned in verses 15 through 19 of that chapter. This is talking about their family regions, where the chiefdoms were and the family regions. So, so, so that, that helps you not be, get confused by that. So here is Numbers chapter 20, verse 14. So when, when Moses is coming out of the land, let me just show you this on the map. So when Moses is coming out of the land, uh, the land of Goshen, he is going to, this is their 40 year trek. So they, they, there was this disobedience. It caused them, they were going to go boom, right up into the land of Canaan. There was this, uh, 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 they, they, they didn't trust the Lord after they sent in the 12 spies. Only two of the 12, um, were, were, uh, were willing to, to say we can take the land. And because of that, they were sent to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So they go way down here. This is where it's believed that Mount Sinai is at the bottom of this, this, this peninsula here, the Sinai Peninsula. But some people are now saying that it's actually over here on this side. Uh, they were actually wandering over here, which is now current-day Saudi Arabia. But that's, that's not relevant to what we're talking about now. But then he comes back up. And now, this is now after 40 years, they're in this region. And this is, and remember, this is the Dead Sea right here, right up here is the Dead Sea. So so this is the more common Israel map that we're used to. And so what we're doing is we're looking down in this region. So we're looking down way down in this region. So this is the zoomed in view of this is right here on this side. And so you see, here's, here's the Dead Sea there, Dead Sea there. So he wants to come in and he wants to go around the Dead Sea. So he wants to go around the Dead Sea and then come up conquer this part of the territory, then come across the Jordan and conquer this part and take the land of Canaan. So that's what they're going to do. <clears throat> so Moses says, hey, I need, um, I'm need. i here. I need to cross through. I'm here at Kadesh Barnea. I need to cross through and just go beneath the Dead Sea and up around and in. But look at that. He doesn't go that way. He comes back. He loops on back and then he goes back down all the way down and then back up and around. Why didn't he just go straight across? The reason he didn't go straight across is because that's the land of Edom. He doesn't own it. It's not his. It was given to Esau. That was Esau's property. So you see in, uh, in numbers chapter 20, verse 14, it says this from Kadesh, Moses, then sent messengers to the king of Edom, Thus, your brother Israel has said, you know, all the hardship that has befallen us, that our fathers went down to Egypt and we stayed in Egypt a long time and the Egyptians treated us and our fathers badly. But we cried out to the Lord. He heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out from Egypt. Now behold, we are Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or through vineyard. We will not even drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway, not turning to the right or the left until we pass through your territory. Edom, however, said to him, you shall not pass through us or I will come out with the sword against you. Again, the sons of Israel said to him, we will go up by the highway and if I and my livestock do drink any of your water, then I will pay its price. Let me only pass through On my feet, nothing else. But he said, you shall not pass through. And Edom came out against him with a heavy force and a strong hand. Thus, Edom refused to allow uh, Israel to pass through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. And then in Numbers 21, verse 4, it says, Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. That land belongs to Esau and his descendants. Moses had no jurisdiction there. And that's why when Moses comes out, he is going to appeal to this. This is Seir Mountains, Mount Seir. This is the land of Edom. He is going to appeal to the king over this territory, which was this final king that is referenced here, King Hadar the final king that's referenced here in Genesis by Moses because, because uh, uh, that's just before the end of Moses' life. So that's the one that he's going to write about. And, uh, and because he makes this appeal, the appeal is not granted. You say, well, the Israelites, God was sending them to conquer. Why didn't they just wipe them out? Because God has respect for what he's given. He gave that territory to the land of, of, of Edom, to the land of Esau, and that was their territory and Moses couldn't touch it. Now, ultimately, when they start getting attacked by Edom, then it's a different thing. Now, a, now Edom did come out. The king of Edom did come out with a big force. He didn't attack them, but he said, my force is here. You're not coming through our territory. And one can imagine that because there were over 600,000 men. So if you have 600,000 men, you have 600,000 women and that's of fighting age, 20 years old and upward, plus all the children. So you had probably two or three million Israelites are coming through at this time. That's a lot of people. And, and uh, uh, imagine if, if um, Mexico said, oh, we're just going to come through with, with three million people and, and walk through Texas. We'd be, you know, you know, people would go crazy. No, you can't do that. And so this is what he was asking. So he sent him. So he said, no, you can't do it. So that's why they went down and around and back on up. And so that that's that's the history of this and how that happened. And uh, so summarizing the kings of Edom, uh, Esau equals Edom. It's said three times in this chapter. He had three wives, five sons, 10 grandsons. And from this come the 13 chiefs because two of the, Two of the five sons are named chiefs through their sons, or the grandsons. And then you had the Horites in Mount Seir. they they're, they're become seven sons become chiefs. These go into 21 tribes which are ended up conquered by Esau, and you establish a dynasty is established, eight, a, a, a dynasty established, but not dynastic, dynastic in the sense of father- son, and eight kings in succession. That's what's documented here in that chapter. So here's some observations. So the genealogies are the underpinning nuts and bolts. They're the unseen hydrogen bonds. I mean, they are, they are just hold this stuff together. Proverbs 4.22 says, my words are life to those who find them and health to their body. This is what underpins it. So let me give you an example. When my kids were little, I bought a swing set for them, big box and shoved it into the car, drove home, and I opened up this box and I was like, oh, what have I gotten myself into? There was like a million parts. You had big parts, little parts and all, and little bags of all these different parts. Now, if I had just said, oh, these little parts, those don't matter. Uh, I, I don't like that little part. I'd throw them away. I just want the big parts. Well, what happens when I put that that swing set together? It's all going to be rickety. It's all going to be never really solid because I threw away all those little parts because I thought that's not important. I just want the big parts. You know, I just want the big things. You throw away those little things, you lose it. If you lose the hydrogen bonds, hydrogen bonds, these, these, these are just, just uh, a two to five kilocalories per mole. These are very weak bonds. You lose these in a cell. Every life does not exist at all. You can't just say, well, I I just want the strong bonds. You know, the, the the ninety kilocalories per mole, the high, the carbon carbon bond. That's what I want. You know, I, I only like those parts. No, you got to have those other things. Those underpin it. There is life in this. Every word in this book is true. Another observation is those outside the covenant seem to prosper faster than those in the covenant, meaning that Edom excels faster than Israel, Lot excelled faster than Abraham, Ishmael excelled faster than Isaac. But interestingly, this is the end. Chapter 36 of Genesis, it says, uh, 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 these are the chiefs according to their habitations in the land of their possession. That's it. That is the end of tracking of Esau. No more tracking Esau. That is his end. But this is just Israel's beginning. This is just his brother uh, uh, Jacob's beginning. And prosperity for God's chosen is assured in the end. Why would God do this? Why does God again and again show us that Israel comes out later than Edom? Abraham actually plays second fiddle to Lot. Lot gets the good territory. Well, Abraham wins in the end. Isaac, Isaac was 14 years younger than Ishmael. Ishmael had a great head start over Isaac. Why why does God do this? Well, providence. Maybe it's to minimize pride. Let me give you an example from my own life we are just getting blessed like crazy in our lab i mean blessed with one discovery after another it is crazy exciting well why why didn't i get this um uh, I'm, I'm getting a notice that my internet is unstable so so uh mike if if you lose me um, uh just contact me some way let me know all right so so uh um, It minimizes pride. If if I had had these sorts of advances when I was half my age, when I was half the age I am now, I was still a professor. If I had had the advances, the discoveries then that I had now, it would have destroyed me because one of them I would have thought, well, I'll just spend my whole life on this. And it would have just tossed me up in pride. You know, God waits sometimes to the right time in our life to bring us up. He confounds the wise through us. And that's why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not that He might nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. And you will very often see this in the life of the believer. Believers, young believers starting out as families, sometimes they seem to have much less than all the people around them. I remember it was like that in my family. Uh, uh. You know, we were starting out, I had this very meager little assistant professor salary and I drove a, a old uh, a used car and my wife drove, drove a used car that, that was given to us by, by my mom and dad. It had like a, 120,000 miles on it and we were glad to have it. And all these people around me, even my students had new cars, but we didn't want to go into debt. On a car, and my wife wasn't working outside the home; she was taking care of kids, and so we always had a little less. God very often does this, and you see this exact pattern in the scriptures, where 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 God's people often, in when you look at the things of the world, they lag behind, but in the end, they are greatly blessed. Why does He do this? Well, this is His providence. Maybe it's to keep us from pride in our in our younger years; that, that He knows that we would overflow with pride. Maybe it's for other reasons. But what he does is he takes the weak things of the world, the base things of the world, and the despised. He's chosen them. That he, so it says God has chosen the foolish things of the world. He says not many of you were wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. You look at believers in Christ. Most of them were not the smartest people in their schools. They were not the, the, the most likely to succeed. It's just the opposite. They were the foolish things of the world. They were shameful and despised. And they were the weak things of the world that he might shame the things that are strong. I mean, this is the story of my life. I tell people, you know, I wasn't a strong student in in, in, when I was a kid. I mean, I didn't just start coming up until high school. I started coming up a little bit. And I didn't start really shining until I became a believer in college. And people, oh no, you've always been very smart. And I say, no, I haven't. It's It's just God has chosen the weak things of the world. When people who know me from... My childhood see me, they're like, how did this happen? How, d- how did this happen? How and and, and uh, he's chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong, the base things of the world. That means the things that live in the basement, base things of the world. And the despised, God has chosen these the things that are not so that he might nullify the things that are. So what he does is he looks and he chooses people that are weak and he makes them strong. So that so that uh, uh, what happens is he becomes our wisdom so that by his doing, we're in Christ Jesus. It's because of God. It's because of, of, of God. We're in Christ Jesus. We think, oh, I found Jesus. You know, I was I was just reading this. I was having this discussion with my son and reading this in John chapter one. God says to Philip, he says, follow me. Jesus says to Philip, follow me. Jesus called Philip. He said, follow me. Well, what does Philip do? He goes and he finds another one and he says, we have found the 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 Christ, the Messiah, the one for whom we, he says, we have found. What do you mean you found him? Jesus found you and Jesus said, called you. So that's our impression. Like I found Jesus. No, he found us. Really, he found us. We, we are in him by his doing. Who became to us wisdom from God. If we have any wisdom, it's wisdom from God. And righteousness and sanctification, there's no good in us. He's our redemption. So that just as it's written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. There is nothing that we have that we can boast of. Every good thing we have, it is from God. Every wicked thing is from ourselves. Every good thing is from God. He is the best in every way, in every way. So I'm going to jump over to one other portion here, and I'll leave with this: that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. If you do not know Him today, today is your day. Don't wait on this thing. The Bible says, "Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation." Which means you do it now, and and uh, and you don't wait on this thing. You do it now. The Bible says in Psalm 119 verse 60. It says, uh, um, it it, it says, behold, I I made haste and I did not delay to keep your commandments. I made haste and I did not delay. You do it today. Today you receive Jesus. We are going to pray and you pray this prayer with me. If you do not know the Lord, you pray this prayer with me. You can confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead because Jesus has been raised from the dead and that truth is already on your heart God is the one who does this. Jesus is the best in every way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time and for the unbelievers who are listening in today. I pray, Lord, that they would pray this prayer with me. So now you go ahead and say this with me. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I confess that Jesus is Lord. And I believe that he has risen from the dead. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me and for giving your life for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And now I pray for each one of these people that was watching today for your grace to be upon them, that they would love your word even more, that they could see how we can take even an obscure, terminal genealogy and bring all of this life out of it. And there's so much more. Lord, we just scratched the surface. Lord, I pray that they would have a firm foundation, that they would be built up strong, that they wouldn't try to just throw out these nuts and bolts that underpin the whole thing, but that they would love every word in the word of God, And they'd be able to trace and do these word searches and just trace these people and these lands and these territories. Father, give them a love for your word because every word in this book is true. Everything. And you have made this our life. This word is our life. Lord, I pray that you'd give these young people a deep hunger and love for the word of God. That they would love this life the life and the Word of God. And Lord, I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.